welcome to the Hungry Authors Podcast. A hungry author is someone who is, quite simply, hungry for it. They're willing to do what it takes to achieve their writing dreams. If that resonates, you're in the right place. I'm Ariel. And I'm Liz. We're two book coaches, editors, and writers here to help you get there. We interview experts and chat about all things publishing and writing to educate and build a community of successful writers, whatever that means to you. Welcome. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back. Ariel and Liz here. We are continuing on with our kind of little mini series of just practical stuff. A lot of this is inspired from our book, which we turned in and is now in the process of copy editing, which is really exciting. Um, So a lot of this is inspired. It's a very fresh in our brains since we just wrote it and then edited it. Um, So we wanted to bring some of these kind of more practical episodes to you to help you kind of in your writing life to get the work actually done. So, but today I wanted to start off with a question and that is Liz, Mm -hmm. what's the best piece of writing advice you've ever gotten? That is a great question. So I will say basically cheat and give you two pieces of writing advice. Um, Both of them have to do with memoir, which I have only written two memoirs so far, but, um, you know, and of course I've read a lot of books about writing and when it comes to prescriptive nonfiction, um, more like teaching books, um, they, you know, there are structures that I've learned and lots of pieces of advice I've gotten along the way about um, how to structure books and write and, and stuff like that. But I would say that the two pieces of advice that I think about a lot, one of them actually came from Allie Anderson on our podcast um, a while oh, back cool. now when she said, um, she said basically that people know how to write and what to say. And I know that sounds really esoteric and almost like unhelpful because I can hear people saying like, no, like that's why we come to you guys. That's why we hire people. We don't know how to write. We don't know what to say. And I get that. I do. Because I often feel like that. But I think what Ali was saying is that deep down, especially when it comes to memoir, which is her specialty, um, you know your story. You do know how to tell a story. You do know what you're going, what you want to say and how to say it. You might need some help uncovering that and it might take a little bit of time to get there, but it was just so empowering to me, especially working on my, on, on memoir, because it is so difficult. Like it's just so hard. It is hard, um, harder than, than writing something, uh, trying to teach something, writing something so personal and and storytelling, even though it is so natural, it can feel so hard. Um, But so often when I sit down to write, I just think about that and I'll think, you know what to say, you know how to tell a story. And it just, it's empowering. I think about that all the time. Uh, And I wish more people knew that, you know, like, yes, there are professional tips and tricks. We can offer you those, but on the whole, you know what to say. And I think that that was just so um, lovely to hear. And then the other one is also related to storytelling and, and memoir and it's Mary Carr's book art of memoir um she tells people that when in doubt just start at the beginning and it's like yes yes <laughs> that's it like 
Yeah. And I ask people that all the time, again, even when they're sharing an expertise and they might not consider their book in super personal, they're teaching something about their industry. I almost always start at the beginning. How did you, how did you come to this career? How did you, what made you want to start a book? write a book. Let's just start at the beginning. And it's oh, so simple and so helpful. A very fine place to start. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a sound of music reference. If you yes. Don't know. <laughs> of course. Ariel coming in with the musical. Um, yeah. um, okay. So what about you as the best piece of writing advice you ever got? Yeah. I think the best writing advice I got was from one of my mentors when I was working at a publisher mm-hmm. and you know, it's kind of surprising, but editors don't usually receive a lot of mentoring. Um, and not a lot of editors have people kind of looking over their shoulder at their edits and kind of saying like, Hey, don't phrase things this way to an author because that's really rude or don't be so harsh, you know? Um, but I actually have had the benefit of having a lot of really great mentors. And I have had people kind of look over my shoulder and really guide me as an, as an, as I was growing as an editor. Um, and so one of these, uh, mentors, she told me I was working on this book that was just a hairy mess of a manuscript. And it like, it was driving me absolutely insane. And I was talking to her about it. And I was like, I don't know what to do. And I sent her excerpts and was like, look at this craziness. What do I do with this? How do I fix it? And she was like, okay, two things. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of putting two things in here too. She said, number one, good writing is a reflection of good thinking. This author does not know what she wants to say. And I was like, oh, okay. Yep. Good writing is a reflection of good thinking. And number two, she said, think of the book like a journey. So you like, you have to know, and you have to help the author know what's her destination. Where is she trying to go with this? And then she needs to figure out the pathway to get there. And now that I like reflect back on that advice, I realize like that's where I started to think of books as a journey of transformation was her advice to think of it like a journey. And now, now we've kind of put language to this. And in the Hungry Authors book, we talk about transformation tales and we've talked about transformation a lot on this podcast too, but that's really where it all started for me was with her advice to think about books as a journey um, in that way. So, yeah, yeah, that's really good advice. I love that tip too, about that. Good writing is good thinking. I just, yeah, told, um, told a client that the other day. Um, so, and that's pretty common advice. Like I think Malcolm Gladwell also has said that like, there's, there's a lot of people who do say that, you know, good writing yeah. is good thinking or good thinking. Good writing is a reflection of good thinking. Yeah. But it's very true. Yes. Okay. So on that note, in this episode, we are getting into mining for content. What we mean is, let's say you got your book map or your outline, got your big idea. Um, You know, more or less the chapters, you know, where you're going to start, you know, where you're going to end. And now you have to fill each chapter with words. You've got to fill it with content. You've got to tell stories. You've got to do examples. You've got to have some exposition. You've got to, you know, um, tell them the thing, right? And you've got to fill each chapter with multiple thousands of words, depending on your genre and, and such. So where do you come up with things to say? Obviously you've got your own ideas, but you don't just want to do that, right? You have to pull in other things to engage the reader. So 
where do you find the things that are going to fill your book? And it's appropriate that you brought up Malcolm Gladwell because this is a quote that we use in our book, but I'll read it now. As he says, um, writing is not the time consuming part. It's knowing what to write. It's the thinking and the arranging and the interviewing and the researching and the organizing. That's what takes time. Writing is blissful. I wish I could do it more. So basically, um, writing the actual tab, tab, tagging on the keyboards is sometimes the easy and fast part. The hard yes. part is going out into the world or into your own mind. And like you said, doing the good thinking or going outside of your own mind and going looking for the things that support whatever, whatever it is you want to say, that argument you're making, you need data, you need, um, yeah, examples, things outside of yourself. So Yes. Um, that's what we're talking about, how to do that, places to look for it. So where would you start with this? Well, <clears throat> the easiest place to start is with a brainstorm. So, duh, right? I feel like I can hear people saying this. It's obvious. A lot of people, if you have started this process, you have probably already done a brainstorm and that's great. Um, but what I, why I like to start with a brainstorm or a brain dump is because I actually do like to start with you or with the client or with myself, mm -hmm. if it's my own book. Mm -hmm. um, what do you already know? What do you already want to say? Um, I think because you're writing, um, most writing is to some degree personal, um, start with yourself. What do you always already know? What do you already want to say? Um, <clears throat> some questions you can ask yourself are um, do the question. Okay. What does the reader or protagonist feel or know at this stage of the book, depending on what chapter you're brainstorming for? Um, what do they already know or feel? Um, what do they need to know or learn or understand to get them through um, to the next chapter? Do those questions recall any stories from your own life or my own life where I've experienced and felt something similar? Do any examples or data that I've already read about elsewhere come to mind? Um, have I seen anyone else in my personal or professional life experience the idea or, or process of this particular chapter? Um, what could I say that supports my argument? Can I think of a fictitious fictitious example or analogy to illustrate this concept. Um, and then sometimes I like to do just a um, fantasy exercise where I say, if I had the perfect story to go right here, what would it look like? Um, and then you can either go looking for it or make that. one up or something like that. Um, but basically brainstorm, start within yourself. If you're really familiar with your topic, which I imagine you are, you probably already know a lot. So get it on the page and see where the holes are. It's kind of like interviewing yourself, you know, yes. putting, mm -hmm. putting yourself in this position of curiosity and literally asking yourself, like, what do I already know? Let's yep. just get it on the page. We'll worry about whether it stays later, but mm -hmm. let's just like get stuff on the page. I love that. Um, I think another, you know, kind of going deeper into this is like, is like you said, mining your personal experiences, you know, like you said, you are, you are the expert. You are the one who kind of brought this up. So there's gotta be some associations that you have 
<laughs> especially if you're writing prescriptive nonfiction, like you've got stories from clients, you've got um, experiences uh, that you can share. You've got, you know, the credentials that people are going to be trusting in. You probably have, you know, re regardless of what you're writing, you're going to have stories from your life. Um, and those are going to be able to illustrate whatever point you're trying to make. Um, we talk in the book about how like James Clear uses a lot of his own personal stories throughout the book. And that's very common for prescriptive nonfiction authors to have both stories from like their clients, which we'll talk about. I mean, that's a whole other area you can mine, but they also have stories from their own lives. And in our book, we talked about um, last time in our last episode that like we actually had to go back and add in more of us to our book because we were so focused on like, here's the information for you reader that one of the pieces of feedback we got from beta readers was like, okay, cool. But who are you? <laughs> like, why should we listen to you? And yep. so we had to go back and add in more about us. So be thinking about, you know, the experiences from your own life that qualify you to write about whatever you're writing about. And obviously if you're writing memoir, then your whole, your whole book is going to be your experiences around some kind of um, event that happened in your life. And so doing that brainstorm, tailoring your brainstorm to what are the most important memories from that event, that's going to help you get started too. Yep. Yep. Exactly. If you read the introduction to so many prescriptive nonfiction books all throughout, but especially introductions, they are almost always the origin story of the author's connection to the material, like yes. James, uh, the James Clear example, like obviously his whole book is about habits, but he opens with a story about him in college and what happened to him in college and how he sort of it set him down this path. Um, yeah. So mind your own experiences, even if it's a considered a quote, very professional book, you have stories from your own life. And not only are they probably interesting and worth telling, they create a connection that no other kind of content can create. Yeah. Um, so read for inspiration, read other books. Um, yep. Coming back to comps. I know you guys hear us all the time on this podcast. And, and of course, you know, in, in our book and in our classes, we're talking about our comp titles all the time. These are your competitive or comparable titles, the books very similar to your books, the books that sit beside your book on bookshelves, um, the ones who, you know, if you're all eating dinner together, these are your contemporaries, the other authors whose table you want to sit at. They are very similar, um, but different in, in small ways. So um, it's a good idea to um, read the works of other writers in your field. Um, they're like uh, obligatory word of caution that you don't um, plagiarize these people or start to accidentally mimic them so much that you're borderlining plagiarizing them. Um, but in general, um, we reading and being familiar with the other books in your genre and the other things people have to say about this um, will not only will you find um, stories and references and examples in our book, you have no idea how many other writers who write about yes. writing that we <laughs> reference. Yeah, so you a will lot. get yes, so many. You will gain. You will get quotes. You will get examples, and you can use them if you cite them appropriately. You can yes. use them. Yes. Um, we are all about ethical 
plagiarism. <laughs> not, <laughs> not, not plagiarism. No, no, not no. plagiarism. That's inherently unethical. We are all about ethical copying. <laughs> well, building ethical. building on other people's work. You just yes. use it, you know we're none of us exist in silos none of us exist in a vacuum our work is influenced by other people so you need to be honest about how your work is influenced by other people and use them as inspiration and like Mm -hmm. just be okay with that be upfront about it's a good thing it's a very good thing to say hey I was inspired by this and this is the you know this is how I'm adding something new to it Um, The other thing I was going to say is it's not just comps that you can read though too, but like you can also read like biographies or history books. Ryan Holiday is very famous for reading, you know, so widely in lots of different genres. And then he pulls stories from like biographies and uses them in his books about stoicism. So if you read his books about stoicism, you're going to find stories about Florence Nightingale and Bill Belichick and like all kinds of other leaders. And he gets those stories from their own biographies or from their memoirs or from, you know, whatever history books that he's reading. So there are lots of different kinds of books, even beyond just comp books that Mm -hmm. you can draw from that inspiration. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Um, Yeah. So read other books. Um, And not only will you gain good quotes and stories, um, the points that others are making are going to um, spark inspiration, you know, especially from your um, comps or others in your genre. They might say something you completely disagree with, and that sparks a whole argument you want to make in your book. Um, They might say something that uh, reminds you of a story you read in some other place and you make this unlikely connection, which is, you know, one of the brilliant things about writing is that, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. We're always just making connections between things. Yes. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of benefits. If you're writing uh, a book or your own book, you should be constantly reading. Yes. Even like magazines and articles. I mean, we definitely in our book have referenced a lot of just articles about writing as well. Um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, you can get stuff from, from there. You can interview experts. Um, Mm -hmm. you've had to do a lot of interviewing experts for different books that you've ghosted and collaborated on. Um, how, how do you do that? Cause I think a lot of people do have a lot of questions around like, how do do I just like literally cold email someone and be like, Hey, can I interview you for my book? Or like, how does that process work? Yeah. Well, most of the people that I've interviewed have been my client's my clients clients so basically the the author's clients so um yeah you could certainly enter although for um for get signed when i worked with lucinda halpern on get signed she interviewed lots of other agents and Mm. um editors that were in her network um so you can yeah interview other professionals um yeah some of your industry people who you're tangentially connected to. Of course, I like take big swings and reach out to anybody. I've found that almost nobody, if you say you want to interview them for a book, like most people will not say no to that. That's true. Um, But a lot of my, my clients who have success stories, basically people who have executed on whatever the thing they're trying to teach, um, they interview them. They make for great stories. They make for great quotes. They make for, they build credibility for the author. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, they're, they're just proof of concept. Um, 
yeah and usually i mean it's like 20 minutes you just ask them sort of to detail their story and what they learned and yeah, yeah. so that's a great thing to do and you can go looking for these too you don't have to do them yeah. yourself i mean i think it's great but you could also just really easily google and find interviews with experts and stuff <clears throat> yeah we've quoted stuff from podcasts like other people's podcasts before where they're interviewing someone and yep. that person says something great the other thing i was going to say is there are a lot of academics out there who have incredible research and incredible insights and really interesting perspectives who mm -hmm. are not well known and who would absolutely love to talk yes. to you and to like give their two cents on whatever topic you're writing about because mm -hmm. they i mean they need to do that as well you know being interviewed and it helps them grow their reputation and earn tenure and all this kind of stuff. So yep. uh, I, one of my tricks is I love looking at academics, just like looking at universities and trying to find people who are experts in a specific topic or who teach, who teach sub, you know, teach classes on certain subjects that I'm interested in. Yep. And like you said, they're almost never going to say no because they're mm -hmm. like, Oh my gosh, someone cares about my research. <laughs> someone yeah. is interested in, you know, the thing that I'm really passionate about. That's, mm -hmm. that's all great. People love yeah. to talk about what they're passionate about. It's also a little bit of a cheat or like easier way to get to data and research. Like we've got mm -hmm. on, yes. you know, on our list, we've got certain databases, studies and research institutes, and that is all great. Like, I know you've done a lot of that for some of your health clients. I've had to do that every now and then, but those databases can be very hard to digest. Some of the abstracts are hard to read. They're so in, you yes. know, academic sounding, but if you, and, and going back to articles um, in magazines too, like sometimes I find, you, they always link to the original study. So you can have that to back you up. But often I, it is more helpful for me to read the expert, um, disseminate or explain the information, the finding either yes. in an interview or in an article, then go back to the original study because it's, they can be just so hard to, yeah. read, you know? The, the other thing with re like, you know, actual research and studies and stuff is that sometimes it's hard to tell if something is actually well-regarded or if it was like, right. if it was a study that was done well, you know, like I'm, I'm not a medical expert. <laughs> and right. so when I was doing a lot of research for this health book that I was writing, mm -hmm. um, you know, there were some times when I was like, I don't, I don't know if this is like a legit study that I should be citing or not. And so I, you know, I do have to kind of rely on my author and rely on those other experts to help me know, is this something good that like, is this a well-regarded study? Was it, you know, did it do peer review? Did it, yep. you know, kind of do all the things it was supposed to do? Um, and is it worthy of being cited? So that you're right. It is nice to kind of have other people there also as a filter to help you know the good sources to find. Yeah. Yeah. So our next one is anticipate objections, which um, let's both talk about this one because we came at this one from a little bit of a different angle. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yes. Okay. Yes, so you, you told go me, first. <laughs> so I wrote the mining chapter in our book, Mine for Content. Uh -huh. And you gave me the idea. You're, how about, you said, how about anticipate objections? I always tell my writers to do this. And I was like, great. Yeah. So um, what you meant, and I'll let you explain that in a minute, is you meant um, like research what other people, let on, what people on the other side of the argument are saying. That's right. Yes, but, exactly. So we, and we cover that in the book, but what I added or interpreted was 
anticipate my reader's objections. Mm-hmm. Which like, are sometimes the same thing and sometimes I, different. So my, my point was basically, if you're making an argument for something, let, let's say you're making an argument that, um, people can, pe- people aren't going to live longer than a hundred years old. Like no matter how, no matter how much we improve our health, people will never live longer than a hundred. Let's say that's mm-hmm. an argument. I'm not saying that's, I, I just pulled that out of, out of thin air, but you're making that argument. There are going to be people who push back on that and say, no, we can like, if, all the things are working well, then there's no reason why we shouldn't live to 300. There's no reason why we shouldn't live to 500. I don't know. They're going to have their own reasons. But so no matter what argument you're making, you should anticipate what someone else who has a different perspective would come back at you and say, that's not right. And what their reasons are. And so you should be able to kind of go down the line of their reasoning and respond to it in some way and anticipate those objections and address them up front. Um, and this is something I, I have found sometimes authors push back at me as an editor when I'm pushing back at them (laughs) and they're, you know, I'll, I'll see something, they make an assumption in their writing and I'll say, Hey, what about this opposite perspective? And they'll say, well, how come you don't support my work? And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's not that I don't support your work. I think your work's great, but also my opinion doesn't really matter. What matters is that some readers are going to read this and they're going to think, no, you're wrong. And they're going to have objections in their brains. So you need to address those objections up front. That's kind of the the point where I was taking it. Right. Yeah. So similarly, I think about the objections of my ideal reader, or I don't know if like objection in the way of what are the things that might get in their way? Like, yes. um, you know, you're teaching a thing um, and they'll say, oh, well, so the example we use in the book is you're teaching how to build a website and you're, you're, you're saying it's easy. You can build a website. It's easy. Well, what might your ideal readers, what are the objections they might have? They might say, but I'm bad at tech but I don't know what hosting service to use, but I want to hire someone, but I don't know how. These are questions, your ideal reader, who is like inherently kind of on your side already. They are not on the opposite side of the argument. They don't have an opposite viewpoint of you. Um, They just, when you say something, you need to anticipate what their questions are going to be, anticipate what their follow-up might be, anticipate what hangups they might have, Um, this can help really, uh, not only refine your argument, but give you a lot more content, more things to talk about, things to help them through. Um, think about what questions they're going to have. If you say this thing, what are they going to come back? If you teach something, if you're an expert of any kind, or you have clients of any kind, you probably know this. What do you find yourself saying? What are people asking you over and over and over again? Because they have the same questions about whatever it is, you know, that you're saying, um, Mm -hmm. Okay, so anticipate objections. Um, We did databases, studies, research institutes. Anything else you want to say about that? No, I don't think so. It's just like if you are making an argument, like look look around the interwebs for some numbers to back you up because you would be surprised. There's probably a lot of interesting databases and studies and research that has been done about your topic. Um, Let's talk about AI. 
Cause okay. this is a little bit of a hot topic and people don't really know what to think about AI. We've talked about it a little bit. We did a webinar, um, gosh, a little while ago now with Chad Allen about using, mm -hmm. uh, chat GPT. And so we are not against using artificial intelligence. We are fans of using it with caution. Yeah. We encourage you to try it out for yourself. Just be careful about how you do it. So what do you like, what do you think are the best ways that people can use AI when they're mining for content? You know, I think you and I both found that the, the way we like to best use AI is like a, a, just a companion kind of a sounding board. You don't use it to replace any kind of official data or, you know, information. You don't certainly don't copy and paste from it, but you can ask it questions. I almost, I don't know if this is right, but sometimes I view it like Wikipedia where it's like, it's probably just a good, like starting off point, right? Yeah. Like you want to know something about somebody, you go to Wikipedia. You can ask, um, chat GPT, like, tell me about such and such, tell me about so-and-so it can give you some, um, you know, basic information, some bullet points about whatever you want to know. You can ask it for stories about something, examples about something, studies about something. It can point you in some um, more specific directions and give you some better results than perhaps just like Googling, you know, the entire internet. Um, it can do that for you. I mean, this is specific, but like if you're talking headlines or something like that, you know, you can run copy through it or titles, you know, book titles. You can have it riff on that, give you examples of titles and subtitles. Um, yeah, so it's just a good sounding board to help you think through. You can ask it like, Hey, I'm writing a book on this. Like, what are, can you give me an, a potential outline of a book like this that can help you figure out the holes that you might have. It, it can come up with yes. thing, ideas that you don't have. Um, so it's just a great sounding board, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. The, uh, the last tip that we have here is on just like developing the art of observation because there's literally content everywhere, mm -hmm. <laughs> your family, in conversations that you have, talks you go to, movies you watch, podcasts you listen to, pop culture stuff, politics, like there are examples everywhere. And part of the value that you provide as an author is finding those examples and making connections to your content yeah. and using those examples to kind of illustrate ideas and bring things to life for readers in a new way. That is part of the value that you offer as an author. Um, did we have any pop culture? I was trying to think, like, do we reference any movies or like pop culture references in our book? I don't think so. I feel um, like we stick to mostly I mean books. Yeah, we, 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 since we're teaching a process about yeah. books and writing, most of them are right. Although, I mean, of course, in this particular spot in the book, I have a reference to You've Got Mail, but I think oh, that's, that's right. the only time. Um, but I mean, plenty of, um, yeah, plenty of other books that I can think of draw from things in the wild. Yeah, like you said, mm -hmm. movies, podcasts, pop culture. I mean, this should like, as you're writing, um, you should just start paying attention to things yeah. around you. And this might even happen naturally, you know, where like um, everything in your life, my everyone in my personal life teases me or jokes about, I like if I'm reading a book, all of a sudden every conversation that I have like relates to that book, I'll be like, yes. And the 
one that my like longest term friends, my college friends always tease me about is like, I read the um, how to win friends and influence people. Uh-huh. Um, like right out of college, I was living with a bunch of my um, best girlfriends in downtown Charleston. There was like six of us in one house and I was reading wow. how to win friends and influence people and like God help them because everything I was like, <laughs> let me tell you what Gail Carnegie said about like every conversation just related to how to win friends and influence people, which is actually like, you know, that is a very relatable book because yeah. things all in the wild about how to influence people and all the things he talks about in that. But they were like, you know, shut up already. But that's kind of like, yeah, go ahead. Well, this is like last year when you were teasing me about being obsessed with Melissa Urban's book, The Book of Boundaries, which is still a great book. I still (laughs) recommend it to people all the time. (laughs) I forgot about that. Yes. Every example was like, oh, here goes Ariel again about the book of boundaries, (laughs) bringing that up. Yeah. You can probably always tell what we're like into on these podcast episodes because we keep, there'll be like a few in a row where we like, our examples are always the same. Yeah. (laughs) One book we're working on or this book we're reading, but that's what happens. Like your whole, to some degree, like you should let it um, consume you and start to try mm-hmm. and see it everywhere. Look for it everywhere. Um, and yeah. yeah, just develop the art of, of observation. I think Glennon Doyle would call it like paying attention to start paying attention. Um, yes. yeah. Well, and, and this is it. also something I think, um, you know, you've shared a piece of advice that is from Lucinda's book, get signed. And mm-hmm. it's, um, I forget who, but an editor that she interviewed said, tell me something I don't know about a subject I already love. Yes. Think that's fantastic advice and that's mm-hmm. where you know some of these like movies pop culture references like um in one of one of the books that i edited um the author shares a story about dolly parton mm-hmm. that is not a well-known story like has not been really well publicized or something it's it's a you know it's just something that he found i think in like one of her biographies or something yeah. and he used that story to illustrate a point he was making And that has stuck with me because I love Dolly Parton and I was like, oh, this is so cool. Like I've learned a story about Dolly Parton that I didn't know before. And guess what? It helps me remember the point he was trying to make as well. And so, you know, you can find these little treasures in, you know, so many different places. And that's really what, what we're getting out here is just Mm -hmm. pay attention. There's content everywhere. If you know how to look for it. All right, guys. Well, that's pretty much all we've got. If you want more on this, you're going to have to go get our book (laughs) at the end of next year. So you have to wait a little bit. (laughs) Um, Well, next week, next week, we'll be back with another episode. Just you and me, our last one, at least in this little series, we're going to be talking about editing your own work next time. Um, and then we're going to be looking to wrap up the season in, um, in December before the holidays. So Good luck with your writing and we'll be back next week. Thanks for being part of the Hungry Authors community. If you like this episode, could you do us a huge favor? Head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We would so appreciate it. You can also follow us on Instagram at Hungry Authors or HungryAuthors.com, our website, to get more information about our masterclasses and upcoming episodes. Remember that you have a story and a message worth publishing. And if you've got the hunger, you can make it happen. Thank you.